1: back to another episode of Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. This is episode 189 brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. You can check them out at huntworthgear.com. This week we're talking with Kyle Camp, Valley to Peak Nutrition, and, you know, coming off of the holidays, starting to get nicer, everybody's trying to get back in shape. This seems like a really good episode to kind of get into, you know, you're starting to think about turkey season, getting out, getting shed hunting, getting out, getting more active. Um, You know, the season never stops for us, but in reality, you know, if you're like me and we talk about it on the podcast here, you've been sitting around eating holiday food and not getting out moving as much as maybe you would have liked so, uh, all those hours in the tree stand eating little Debbies and gummy bears and things like that. Kyle comes at this from a completely different perspective. It isn't a fad. It isn't, you have to be, you know, all of these exercises and all of this stuff. He comes at it from a dietitian standpoint. So food is fuel and it's all building blocks for what we need and a very down to earth easy-to-understand guy, um, went through his own journey, wasn't in the outdoor space. He didn't live the hunting lifestyle where he was out west and elk fit and whitetail shape and all this stuff. Uh, None of that. So if you go back to our episode that we did with Mark from EXO, he references his dietitian friend, and uh, that just happens to be Kyle. Uh, This episode came about John met somebody, Nathan, out on the mountain in Montana, uh, kept in correspondence and said, hey, Kyle would be a good uh, addition, you know, good episode for the podcast. So that's who we brought on and uh, a real great conversation about, you know, what do you really need for these intense hunts or even a whitetail hunt? Is there is there anything that helps keep you more alert? Is there any foods or anything that would help you optimize yourself for hunting, um, rather than just all of these supplements that everybody's pushing. Um, and so it's a great episode. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, Kyle's great. A little bit of uh, housekeeping. So, uh, got some new stickers on the way, new logos, uh, real excited. And we've brought back the stickers with, uh, Knox are bright with uncle Frank on there. So, uh, those are coming real soon. Super excited about those. We've got, uh, you've got like, I guess one more month for our Patreon giveaway and Huntworth just sent John and I a ton of gear, um, to try out and what they're giving away for our Patreon giveaway is uh, it's their Elkins jacket, the Durham pants, the Shelton uh, hoodie. uh, That's got a built-in face mask and uh, gloves and a hat. And so they sent us all that stuff to try out. And I'll tell you what, um, those pants I went out and did a shed hunt with. um, They're a lighter pant, going to be perfect for turkey hunting. They have a built-in knee pad, like uh, the Cordura knees and then in the seat. So going to be more water-resistant for when you sit down on a log or something like that, kneel down and, um, just, uh, they were great. I was out like it was snowing, windy, uh, shed hunting with a base layer on and, and they were great. And the jacket is like a brushed suede kind of, so it'll be good all the way into bow hunting season. You know, that mid season, it's not a real lightweight jacket. Um, uh, it's actually pretty heavy and will be real nice. Like I said, for, for actual the bow hunting season. And then that hoodie is like a grid fleece, half zip hoodie. Um, It's got a zippered pocket as well as like your normal, uh, you know, pocket for your hands. Super cool. So they're giving all that away. And then we are giving away um, that bear Montana longbow, 40 pounds. Uh, Tom's finished up those arrows. They look really awesome. Uh, He's got those built up for it. And then they gave us a box of other things to go along with it. It comes with a stringer. It's got uh, an arm guard. And then they gave us some other things we'll give away just to some other patrons. Uh, one of the Fredbear books and then a DVD set. And then, of course, Spartan Forge is giving away one of their pro packages. So that's a one-year membership. And if you don't know, check them out at SpartanForge.ai. Spartan Forge is artificial intelligence, machine learning for the deer woods. So it takes all these data points, all of that information is plugged into military grade algorithm that predicts where deer will be based on where deer have been in certain weather patterns, times of year, winds. So you can maximize your time in the woods. But not only that, it's a mapping software too and their maps are incredible and the imagery is amazing. So, you can check them out at spartanforge.ai. And then, also um, we're working with Lucky Buck too. Um, Lucky Buck is, you know, a mineral, but they've got seed as well. And we're going to be, uh, my dad's actually going up to our property in the UP. You can still uh, supplemental winter feed uh, up there. Um, so, he's going to throw some of that out. And we only get up there a couple times a year, so we're gonna throw a camera on it, put it out there, and um, real excited to a help our deer herd, but b um, use it to kind of take inventory and see what's up there. So all of that stuff is gonna be uh, giveaways through Patreon. You got about another month to sign up, and I got some other stuff I'm gonna throw in there. Like so, the next couple of Patreons that sign up, I've going through all my stuff and you know, those picking up my room, and I've got some extra hats. So I've got a Mossy Oak Bottomland tethered hat, brand new, and I've got a Latitude a Realtree hat that uh, next two people that sign up for Patreon, I'm just going to send those out. And then I also have Doyle's Gear Hoist. I bought an extra one of those uh, just to do a random giveaway. So I've got that. And then in March... You know, this will air and then it'll automatically be March. We're going to be doing, I'm going to do just, uh, start doing monthly giveaways. So I bought a mystery ranch, bino harness, bino harnesses are like one of those things where everybody wants to check them out, wants to see this one, wants to see that one. Um, and a lot of people don't have them. Maybe they don't think they need them. So it's just one of those things that I feel like we should give back to. So uh, I bought one of those. We're going to give that away. And you can check that out at uh, patreon.com forward slash boner chronicles podcast. You can click on our link on Instagram and sign up. Um, any of those ways, what we do, that's crowdfunding for us as uh, creators to help with our studio camera gear, with all the stuff that we're recording on, all the things that it takes to run this podcast. And then the extras, like I say, we give back. And uh, we got some other stuff coming up. Um, getting everything figured out for total archery challenge, meetup, barbecue, all that stuff that those details are coming up here very soon. But, um, you know, we appreciate everybody that even just listens to the podcast. So if Patreon's not for you, if it's not your, your jam, no big deal. Just tell a friend, say, Hey man, you're, kind of looking like you packed down a couple pounds you might want to check on this podcast or if you're like alex and i when we were in wisconsin from the podcast with latitudes and he thinks that we need all this organic food so we can be optimized and we can be fresh um, You say hey man listen to this this, this guy's a dietitian. <laughs> maybe not maybe we don't need that uh, but every single one of you that listens every single week thanks so much for listening enjoy the episode <music> All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and we're going to kind of like stray from the normal bow hunting, hunting type type things, but with uh, with good reason. So if you recall back uh, November-ish uh, when I did a podcast from uh, deer camp with the Latitudes guys, and we got into a little bit of a discussion about... Like food is fuel and how we're destroying our bodies. And, you know, Alex from Latitude is, is saying that we have to have all this whole food so we can, our minds can be sharp and all of that. Um, it brought me back to a conversation I had had with John and he's like, Hey, I got a guess for you. And when John says he's got a guess for us, I mean, it's something that we have to take note of because. Well, yeah, it was from another buddy of
2: ours, Nathan. He had suggested it, and then so I kind of looked into it. I'm like, "Yeah, well, m- we'll we'll get to it." I mean, but go ahead and finish the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I mean, I was I was giving it to you. I was giving you an opportunity to say some words here. You know, meet your quota for that, the day. That was the quota. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're going to talk with uh, Kyle from uh, Valley to Peak Nutrition, and this is something we you said Nathan, but he, he mentioned this to you, and you met Nathan. Hiking in the mountains of Montana, right? Right. Yes. And he's then he messages and says, "Hey, I got a guess for you."
2: Right. Yeah. He, you know, he was following his program, and so he's like, "Hey,
1: this would be a good good podcast subject." So here we are. So, can you give us a little bit of your background, Kyle, and like, you know, from uh, nutrition and hunting, like, you, you know, and one of the things is, so we don't generally bring guests on or products or like whatever. Um, especially now that it's like, we, we always want to kind of like vet people. And I've been going back and forth, you know, with you for, I don't know, six months or a year or whatever. And you're like, yeah, 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 check out my stuff or whatever, because there are so many like people that are just in it to make money or that are just, you know, they say, okay, well, you know, they, listen to the or or read the four-hour body and the four-hour work week and they're like i can make a supplement company i can make a diet program i can put it into the hunting space and i can sell some stuff and we can make some money and then i won't have to work i can hunt some more so uh, i just want to make sure you weren't one of those type of characters so
3: (laughs) did i did i pass
1: (laughs) well you're here so
3: (laughs) (laughs) which i appreciate thank you guys uh yeah for having me on Yeah, so my, you know, my, my route to becoming, so I'm a dietitian by, by trade, I guess is, you know, what you would, my professional title is or whatever. Uh, My route to becoming a dietitian, my route to living in Idaho, and my route to becoming a hunter were all very unconventional, meaning I didn't grow up doing any of those three things. I actually grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana. um, And as a kid, I I was not active at all, did no activities. Uh, It's a very long story to say. You know, I I grew up and I weighed 270 pounds by the time I was 20. Um, I'm five foot six, so it's a lot to carry on a frame. And I remember laying in bed one Christmas morning, and I I don't want to dramatize the story, but just realized this is a real problem to be this young this far overweight, this inactive. And so I just started doing things on a day-to-day basis to try to change that, to try to bring my weight down. And it just, it grew an immense interest in me and wanting to know, okay, you know, I I realized that trying to snack on fruit rather than grabbing three double cheeseburgers is a good choice, but what's happening in me that makes that a good choice. So I enrolled in a, in a, uh, a college program, at the university where I lived in in southern Indiana, um, and basically I had no past experience with math, no past experience with science, which is not a great, you know, preface to any type of a science degree. Um, and I met with the guidance counselor, and she said, "I don't know, you should probably find another another career." So I said, well, "You know, if I fail a class, then I'll find a different career." I pass, and when you when you become a dietitian, you pass. um, Once you get your undergraduate degree, they place you. You know, if you match to a program, you move to that. You move to another location, do your clinical rotations. It's similar, a little bit similar to a residency program. And so they told me that. I matched to Idaho, and I thought, "How terrible is that?" Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I didn't have any experience in the mountains at all at this point. I'm, you know, I'm 20. I went back to school late. I think I was 23, 24 years old. It was almost 10, 11 years ago when I went back to school. I lost weight prior to that, even. Um, so they sh- they moved me to Idaho. I moved out here, and that's where I fell in love with the mountains. Fell in love with backpacking. And I also met my wife, so I met my wife who was from Eastern Oregon. Her dad was a big hunter, and so you know our trips over there, like we were eating stuff growing in the garden. We were eating, uh, you know, elk and deer and stuff that he had went out and harvested himself. And so I just, I had this, I had this thing go off in my head of you know I'd fell in love with the mountains at that point and started backpacking and sort of had this inclination like I can go backpack get lean sources of protein for a $30 tag in my state, like sign me up. So I enrolled in Hunter's Ed. I put in for a tag and um, man, there's so many people to thank along the way, like just teaching me things like how to, how the application process works in Idaho and how you get a tag and how you go to Hunter's Ed and how to shoot a bow, how to shoot a rifle. I didn't grow up doing any of those things. Uh, and then just gained an interest over time, lost, you know, 140 pounds, which is what spurred my interest on to become a dietitian. And um and even now, you know, thirteen years after I'd lost all that weight, it's humbling for me to look back at what I'm able to do every fall because it would have never been possible thirteen years ago. And so um I don't know if this is the right point to intro what I do now, but now I own uh, a company called Valley to Peak Nutrition where basically I help people try to do the same thing, which is do the things that they love, help them prepare for perform optimally in the mountains um, and just guide them through like what that looks like to be where they're at. And then to, 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 you know, go accomplish whatever it is that they want to accomplish.
1: Yeah. One of the things looking at like, kyle's stuff and like the way that some of the other podcasts that he's been on and now you have your own podcast um as well um the his responses in the way that uh he tells people like very frankly you know pretty much yeah you can eat whatever you want to it isn't like you have to do this or this and like i said i told him in the before this and like i've been as i've been thinking about this podcast i'm like i think i'm just gonna like uh label it like just eat the damn donuts already <laughs> um like it's you know when you think about like a dietician and like losing all of this weight you're like that can't be possible being happy like there must have been like this finite period of time where like life sucked it's just was, miserable it was it was lettuce and water egg whites and that's it and then then it was it was fun again but that's not the, the way that you you approach it
3: no and i mean it, it, even in losing my own you know my own journey like it, i just don't feel like i would be able to have the understanding that i have of the people in the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember every part of it. And it was it was I guess I, I could could say that I'm fortunate in that there weren't fifteen, 13, 15 years ago, there weren't really a ton of fad diets. I mean there was like Atkins and some other stuff, but there were there was no giant, you know, cultural push towards any way of eating. Right. And so basically what I did was I just kind of enjoyed what I wanted. But I kept the dose in the right amount for me, right? So I monitored how much I was bringing in. If I wanted something, I had it. And I remember just sort of this light bulb going off in my head of like, man, you know, this, I can eat anything I want. This idea of like, you can have anything that you want so long as you're accounting for how much of it's in there, right? So I think there's two messages that often come out, which is, you know, you can go nuts, eat eat as many donuts as you want, right? And that's that's not true either. I mean, something's gotta change. But then the flip side of that would be you can only eat, you know, a list of foods that you probably don't love. Don't touch the ones you do love, and you'll get there eventually. Like that's the life. That's also complete fallacy. And and I think that it's a there's a balance that exists that most people don't know of. And you know, I'm I'm in such a, a cool boat where I get to talk to so many people and the the one thing that I think that they all want is just clarity, right? Simplification and clarity of like, man, like we've never had more information at our, you know, within our reach than we do right now. And we've never been more confused about a topic than we are right now. And every, you know, when people reach out or I just chat with them, whether it's something like this or I meet them out or whatever, um, that's the one thing that keeps coming across. It's like, man, I'm willing to do the work. I just don't know what work to do. I mean, I've got one guy that's telling me to do some extreme and he's had success. I got a, another guy that's telling me to do another extreme and he's had success. And uh, like, I've tried this before and it didn't really work for me. So I just, I just don't know what to do. And there's just so many people craving some clarity.
2: Yeah. And, and so it's funny because I was just telling my wife the other day, I'm like... I've always like I did all the fad diets. I did Atkins, you know, everything. Um the fat free diet, which like completely screwed up everything in my my chemistry. I had like high hydro- triglycerides like through the roof. But um the best thing I ever did was actually called the body for life, which is I mean, a long time ago. Um but lately it's like I want to get back into it. Now I'm getting towards the age of fifty And you see all these, like, if you scroll through my Instagram, it's all these, like, Sculpt Nation and all these, don't eat this. You got to eat that. If you're over here, over 40, this food's killing your testosterone. It's like, I've never been so confused in my life on what, I'm like, so screw it. Give me the donuts, you know? like I mean, yesterday we did a podcast and uh, what's name was like, oh, I just want pancakes and sausage. I was like, that's what I had for breakfast this morning, you know? So, so give us some clarity on what we should do.
3: Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good question. So I think before I even dive into that, it's important to, at least in my mind, establish, like when I'm saying this, it's going to be contradictory, contradictory to what someone has done and had success with. So regardless of what I say, regardless of what science says, the most important thing is that a guy finds or a girl finds what works for them and then pursue it. So if you hear something here and you're like, "Oh man, that didn't work for me," then that's then that means that this isn't right for you. The second piece would be when I look at things like in and getting and getting my education and then getting credentialed and in going through all of my study work, etc. And and you can attest to this too as a pharmacist. It is pounded in you that you have to look at research. You just can't be out there floundering at the mouth saying whatever feels good to you. So when I'm saying things it's going to be contrary to the cultural message that a lot of people have heard, but this is what genuine science says. And I think I think in the other other side of this too because it's really going to be the opposite of what people normally hear is remembering that there is always a balance there's an equilibrium to be to be to be struck right the pendulum can't swing too heavy on any side without messing things up there's a balance which we really as 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 culture have have a tough time with right so what what is true i think the the best way that i could put this in the most simplistic way that i could put this is something that i use in in the program a lot which is there are no good foods there are no bad foods. There's only food. And it's the dose that makes the poison, right? And so, the, the cultural message would be, no, 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 no. There's good foods. You can eat those. There's bad foods. You can't have those. Go and go and do it, right? The problem with that is the list of bad foods are generally the foods people like, The list of good foods are generally foods that people don't love, right? And so you're signing people up to be compliant on something that is just unnatural. And in working with people, one thing that I've learned is you have to make this doable to them and you have to help them figure out, like the example we used before we even clicked record, if your daughter comes in and she says, hey, I'd really like to go get a donut today, dad, will you take me? Oh, I'm sorry. That's on my red foods. I can't imagine, number one, any dad saying that. And number two, I can't imagine them saying that forever. Because whatever you begin on, if you deviate from it, the weight's coming back. Right? You've got to be consistent. Consistency is the mother of progress in this, no matter what route or direction you go in. So you have to find and you have to strike a balance between, okay, what's the dose for each person, which we usually measure in it, the easiest way to measure this is in calories. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to count calories. We can come back to that. But at the end of the day, the the one foundational, the one foundational truth that cannot be violated is you cannot have more energy coming in than you are expending. It doesn't matter if it's you know no carbs, all carbs, all pro. It doesn't matter. I've seen people, and I'm you know I'm in the fortunate position too. Prior to owning this business, I worked in a clinic, I worked in a hospital. So I've just seen I've seen a lot of people since I've become a dietitian. And you start to see trends and patterns and, and things like that. And the foundational truth is you can you have to I've seen people eat nothing but organic, healthy food that they paid a lot of money for gain weight. And I've seen people with very little money lose weight eating mostly at McDonald's because it's all they had, right? And the beautiful part, the thing I love about nutrition is both of them can accomplish whatever they want, right? There's no financial barrier. There's no physical limitation. There's nothing like that. There's this other idea that pervades of, oh, you got to be really rich to, to eat healthy. That's also not true. You may have to have some strategic planning, but you don't have to be rich. And, uh yeah, I think I'm uh, getting off on a rabbit trail, but at the end of the day, yes, no good foods, no bad foods. There's food, and it's always the dose that makes the poison. No matter what direction you go in, you've got to make sure that whatever you sign up for, you feel like you can stick to it six weeks from now, six months from now, six years from now, etc.
1: So as we like, we want to put as we're putting this in the scope of like the conversation that I'd like to have about you know what we're hunting, right? So. You know, John is this year planning on going out West again, and it's going to be three weeks of eating, you know, whatever he brings with them or whatever. So we look at things from, and again, like what you're talking about with good foods, bad foods, whatever it's calories, it's, it's, you know, if you operate in a deficit, but like in that sort of situation, like, so we'll start we'll just start the season, right? So if you're hunting in September, I guess as I look at seasons for hunting, right now we're coming off of, you know, the whitetail rut where I'm eating uh, peanut butter and jelly, uh, trail mix, any gas station pizza, and everything, and I'm up in the tree. And then we go into late season, then the holidays. And now if we think about that your daughter wants to have a donut with you. Like my father-in-law, uncle Frank Turkey season is breakfast pizza. And like, that's what my wife loves going hunting with her dad, not for the hunting for the breakfast pizza and the laughter and the stories and stuff. And I've just heard it before, you know, it's like you go through all of this and it's just from, if you hunt hard and you're just going you know, g- gas station to gas station, you're getting little sleep, you're doing all of this stuff. It's the like density of those calories. And that's one of the things I heard you say on uh, Garrett Weaver's podcast was you know, you can get 250 calories in a soda and you can drink that from stoplight to stoplight, where you could eat, you know, a whole, you know, three egg omelet and you might get the same amount of calories. So that's that deficit number, but like, so for elk hunting or, or whatever, like food is fuel. Like, are, is, what are the best, are, are there better choices for what you actually need? Not from like a weight loss standpoint, but from like a fueling yourself standpoint. Well,
3: I think it, and I think it weaves into what you had just mentioned as far as the egg omelet and the soda, So, two things, I think, to establish. Number one, if you're eating vegetables or you're eating a Reese's, both of those contain carbohydrates in varying amounts, right? Obviously, the Reese's contains a lot more in a small package, whereas the zucchini or whatever vegetable you want to include is less in a bigger package. At the end of the day, all carbs convert into one of the three simple sugars to be processed, right? So, if we compare amount per amount, let's say you know grams of carbs per grams of carbs, in a nutshell, from a scientific standpoint, you are getting about the same amount of carbs. Now, there's somebody screaming at the radio right now that that's not necessarily true because you get more nutrients with the zucchini, you get more volume, right? The zucchini would take up a lot of room in your stomach, whereas two Reese's is very little. The same with the soda. So, from that standpoint... There is value in choosing quality over quantity. But again, there's just this mixed message of you can't ever have the Reese's. Oh, you can have as much zucchini. You can have as much whatever. And so it goes back to that cl- comment earlier of, of, you know, working in clinical where y- people would come in and they would be so confused because the quality was great. You know, they're making their own hummus. They're roasting their own chickens. They're eating. Uh, three egg omelets in the morning with butter they've churned themselves, and it's it's a very simple thing. Of there's too much of it, it doesn't matter the quality, right? So all of a sudden they start monitoring the dose, and the weight comes down. They don't change anything. Now if you if you transition this into hunting, it's going to be very personal, right? You may get a guy that says, "I've I've got a friend who." Did several through hikes, long trails that, you know, they exist on this gas station type food for months. Be- Number one, and this, this also, this I guess looks at the volume side in a positive light, like where the Reese's could be a value. You need that fuel, right? You couldn't eat enough, quote unquote, healthy food to sustain your energy needs, have good energy as well as good weight on the trail. So you, you need that stuff. He may say, man, and he did say i lived on oreos pop tarts just complete trash and felt great right but then you've got other people who will say i couldn't do it i had to you know dehydrate all of my own food i had to make my own fruit leathers i had to dehydrate all of my own fruit and make my own bowl of oats in the morning blah 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 neither is wrong and neither is right right i mean everything is everything is relative to the person's personal experience now one thing that is important is, yes, you have total calories, but one of the things, and this is particularly pre- prevalent in the West with backpack country backpack hunting, there's an idea of focusing on calories per ounce, right? And as long as you have a high calorie per ounce, that's going to be less weight in your pack and you get all the calories you need. But calories only matter in that type of an environment if they're from the right things, So the split or the division of where those calories are coming from amongst carbs, proteins, and fats matter. A certain amount of those calories need to be allocated to carbs, need to be allocated to fat, need to be allocated to protein. So that division matters. How you personally go about choosing how to meet those numbers in your own plan is 100% preferential and based on you know what you feel like doing I mean, for some guys like the anxiety of making all their own food for a 3 week trip would be like I'm not even going to go hunting then if that's what I've got to do right and and so for me I'm like then let's not make everything like let's figure out how to buy this stuff that sits well with you is going to fuel you well to go strong I mean 21 days up and down the mountains is a lot of work right? And you, anybody can swing by the gas station on plan, grab some stuff out of there and survive a couple of days and do fine. But that difference maker with nutrition, once you start to get into day five, day six, seven, 17, 20, right? There's value in knowing those numbers and making sure that those numbers are hit each day.
1: And where does that come in? Like, I mean... Obviously, everyone's going to be different, and yes, we've established that we can do it in, in multiple different ways from multiple different sources. Um, but just as an example, you know, because when we were packing for our trip, you know, I'm like, I got a five-pound bag of gummy bears. Like I I said, my pack looked like if you gave, like, a teenager, like, $50 bill and sent him into the gas station because that's, like, the way that I – would eat given the choice. Like I can live off of garbage. Um, but in that there's, you know, the fast acting sugars, there's like the slower carbs that are going to fuel you, you know, like, you know, there's going the to things that are going to spike your, uh, glucose right now. And then there's things that are going to last a little bit longer. And then you need protein and all of these other things. So how is that balanced out as far as like, generally speaking, as humans that are exerting themselves that you need over time?
3: That's it. That is an excellent, excellent question. Right. So, a, a couple of things. When you look at the type of endeavor you're pursuing, right, you have to ask, what's the predominant fuel source going to be based on what the, what the output's going to be. And we know this, like this is, this is established fact when the, when the output is relatively low, like me sitting in this chair, the body's going to predominantly be using fat as fuel. There is a, this is a huge misconception. There's a giant difference between using fat that you've eaten as fuel and stored fat. We hear that and we think, oh, I'm, I'm burning stored fat. No, you're not. You're burning whatever you've been eating, blah, 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 blah. The only way you're burning stored fat is if you're in a deficit. And that's that. That, that is what it is. As the pendulum shifts and the work gets harder on the trail... That the body becomes more reliant on carbohydrates, so lesson two. The body's dynamic; it's never one hundred percent anything. It's tapping into a little bit of fat and a little bit of carbs, and there's always a, there's always a dynamic shift happening. You're never one hundred percent anything. Even if you eliminate carbs and you eat only fat, part of that's being broken down into you know a, a mandated need for glucose. Like some of your cells have to have glucose, and so if you're only providing fat it still is going to make some so you're not you're not going to outsmart the body second thing is as that pendulum shifts towards getting harder and harder and harder to where you're giving like 70 80 85% of all you've got the pendulum does shift towards 100% reliance on carbohydrate right so if you're not providing that you're not going to die but you're certainly not going to be quote unquote performing at the rate that you would be if that was provided and I think a great illustration for this is if we were to all be in Seattle right now, and I said, "Hey guys, let's meet in New York, right?" And I said, "I I'm going to go east in my plane. Four hours, I'll be there. I'll see you there." And you guys said, "Well, you know, I think we're going to go west. So you fly several oceans and many, 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 many hours, and eventually you get to New York, right? Carbs and fats work the same. Carbohydrates break down quicker." They contract the muscle three times faster than fats do. Can fats work? Sure. Yeah, they can work. But I'm not necessarily concerned with things just working. Most people want from me, they're asking me, how can I get this to work the best? So when you look at calories, it's not just about calories per ounce. If you have the lightest pack, because most of your food is from higher fat sources, cat fat typically weighs about half the amount of carbs, right? Right. You may have sufficient carbs and you won't lose or you may have sufficient calories and you won't lose weight, but you won't do quite as well as maybe you would have had most of those calories been given over two carbs. The second piece is most people tend to overestimate by a long shot how much protein they need in the backcountry. Right, so we tend to think, well, protein's a great energy source. I need more protein. I need lots of proteins and fats. That's going to give me energy. Protein's not designed as an energy source. The responsibility of protein is recovery and repair of the muscle, not an energy source. Right. So if you're providing tons of protein from jerky and salami and cheeses and you know whatever else you can manage to get back there, again, you'll have sufficient calories. So maybe you don't lose weight. But you don't have sufficient calories from the right thing. So performance may suffer. You may not feel as good, right? You may not, you know, you may hit day five and just feel like, man, I think I might stay in camp today, try to recover. Whereas if you've been fueling properly, then you're not going to want to stay in camp, right? If you hear a bull going off, you're not going to want to stay in camp. If anyone's ever heard that, like you're, You're not staying. You're going. And um, so there 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 is value in knowing your numbers, making sure that your nutrition plan is set up in a way that meets that demand based on the output that you're anticipating. How you personally choose to fill that need is up to you, meaning whether it's quality or Reese's. Now, for the guy choosing quality, you could give him a feather in his cap, whereas the guy not choosing quality may not. And where that is important is two things. One, more fiber intake to keep a guy regular, right? For one. For two, micronutrients, which are essentially a fancy word we've used to just say uh, vitamins and minerals. Vitamins and minerals, the responsibility, and this is something often overlooked, especially by guys it there's like oh well I'll hit my macros eat my protein blah 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 but I'm not going to worry about veggies the the micronutrients those those um, vitamins and minerals play a major role in converting the food you've eaten into usable fuel right they they are a part of the process that takes that fuel that you you know just eaten and tasted so good and creating usable fuel. So the micronutrients are also responsible. You know they're they're helpful. Reese's are not full of micronutrients, right? Good quality. The the, the type of food that most people would attach to the label "quote unquote" healthy food tends to be higher in micronutrients, and that is why you can't just tell someone, "Hey, you know, go ahead and hit your calorie need. Let it all be from Reese's and donuts. You'll lose the weight." There is some. You know, when I said that thing earlier about no good, bad foods, only the dose that makes the poison, that's true. But you can't just consume all of it from donuts either, right? There there are some nuances and some caveats that exist in that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you're not talking about <clears throat> when we talk about no good and bad foods and we talk about, okay, so we're going to operate on a deficit and that's we're, we're talking about weight loss, sustainability, Um, You know, building healthier habits and, you know, again, trying to lose weight and do other things like that. But like, you know, a NASCAR does not run on the lowest octane pump gas. Yes, it'll get around the track, but it's you're not building a supercar to run on garbage where it will happen. Same thing with like, you know, the Olympics are going on right now. Like those guys are on a nutrition plan specifically for everything that they're doing to maximize the output of their body. And that's where all of the other, you know, micronutrients, all the nuances of no good or bad, but there are better. Right.
3: Kind of right. But even (laughs) taking, I'm glad that you brought up the, the context of Olympic athletes, because even when you take those guys, there is no way they could get enough fuel in eating only healthy food. There's so much volume there's so much fiber, there's so much protein that they literally wouldn't have the capacity in their stomach to hold the amount of calories, the amount of carbs, the amount of fuel they needed to endure the training that they do. And so you might remember several years ago hearing all of these reports about like Michael Phelps's diet, 12,000 plus calories. He's eating pizza, he's eating mac and cheese, he's eating hamburgers, he's eating fries, he's eating Pop-Tarts, he's eating all of these atrocities that we think no one would ever put in a Ferrari. But that's, that again circles back to at the end of the day, when the body is breaking this stuff down, it, it doesn't have a brain, right? The, the body's not like a, well, it does, but the, <laughs> the metabolism doesn't have cognition necessarily. It's not like, oh, that's a reseason, Even though you're in a deficit, I'm going to make you fat from it. And it, it, it doesn't do that. It simply recognizes, I always like to personify it and say, there's a logistics coordinator in there. And he's simply saying, does this guy need this or not? And if he doesn't, let's go ahead and fill the reserves. Oh, are the reserves full? Well, then we can deposit as a longer reserve, fat. Oh, he needs it? I don't know what it is. Just give it to him. Let's keep this machine running, right? And it's the same way. It's all about the input versus the output. Now, for the rest of us non-Olympians, <laughs> you do have to incorporate things like quality, micronutrients, fiber, et cetera, because we, our output is not that high. We We could very easily out eat our output and that's the problem that does lie in um packaged foods and fast foods and restaurant foods etc they taste good they're hard to limit right i mean a handful of chips is 120 calories a giant baked potato with nothing on it is about 120 calories how how many times have we all been in a position where before we know it the bag's gone with chips i mean that's 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 Thousands of calories, right? I can, I can promise you that if all three of us were to sit down to an open bar of baked potatoes, we'd maybe get through two and just be like, dude, I can't handle anymore. And that's maybe 250, 300 calories, right? So you can see the dramatic difference of if a guy says, man, you don't understand how much I love potato chips. If you can take those potato chips out and you can keep it to 120 calories or whatever it is that you've set aside. There is nothing wrong with those potato chips, but it's very hard for us to limit something that tastes so good and takes up no volume in the stomach, right? I mean, if again, let's keep, stay with the potato chip theory. If you think about a stomach, a full stomach tends to hold about a thousand milliliters, about a liter, size of a Nalgene. It would be really really easy to crush a bag of potato chips and fill that analogy in fact it might take 2 bags. If we were to cut up a raw potato, you might be able to get in, you know, 2 maybe 3 inside of that. The caloric difference between those two and the taste like I don't love munching on raw potatoes, but it drives the point home. I love potato chips. All right. I mean, keep in mind, I didn't get 270 eating <laughs> broccoli all the time. So I, I my my changes, my my taste didn't just go away. I still loved everything I had. I just started figuring out, and this is this is like what I do now. And I mean, obviously, I'm passionate about it. I started figuring out. Okay, it's not that I can't have it. It's just that maybe I don't need six slices of pizza, right? Maybe it's two. And well, you know, to really feel full, I've learned that salad. Doesn't have any calories, but it takes up a lot of room in the stomach. So what if I do like a salad in two slices rather than the volume of six slices, which is, you know, four times what it used to be? And and I found that people, they can deal with that. Right. They can stomach that. I'm allowed to eat that. I'm able to have pizza. I'm not the, the, the guy in the corner who brings his food or, you know, who is, you know, that's, that's Kyle's food over there while the rest of the family eats lasagna. Right. You're teaching people, look, this whole idea of you can't have that while your wife makes mac and cheese and dino nuggets for everybody else is non existent. That's, that's a message that we've been given. You can have Dino Nuggets. If I mean, if I know you had a great plan, I know you had a great plan in place, but that fell apart. Now you've got Dino Nuggets, or you've got a you know a green smoothie with spinach shoved in it that doesn't even look good to you and is mostly water. Eat the Dino Nuggets, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, man, I could do this. And I always tell people will say, well, how do you know if you've been successful with and uh, working with someone, or how do you know if you have set up a successful plan? The less that person feels like they're doing anything different, the more we're on track to something, right? The more they're feeling like, God, this is a complete overhaul, though we are way off. We're way off with what we're trying to do because history shows us that when that happens, it drives it. Nobody's going to be able to stick to that. And again, consistency is the mother of progress. You can do everything perfect a couple of times, nothing will happen. If you can strike the bar like 70% of the time, but do it every time that way, you'll start to see things move. You do not have to be perfect. And I think that that is another just really common misconception. Like when I was sharing my own story at at the start of this, I said, you know, I just started, I woke up on Christmas, I felt this way and I started making small changes. It was simple stuff. I stopped getting fries, started getting the baked potato or getting a bowl of chili. I loved Wendy's at the time. I would get grilled chicken rather than crispy. I stopped getting a frosty and I got water. I mean, it was. I mean, it was basic stuff that I, probably everyone listening here, if we were to put up a multiple choice question, would click what I did. Right? It's just stuff that we all sort of realize. Um, but we, I, I think, we're given this message of like that's not enough. Might as well just get the breaded, right? And 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 so we stay here, right? Six years go by, seven, ten years, and and. We never change because we've been given in this idea of like, man, if I got to be perfect, well, God, I haven't, I haven't met a person who is yet. So nobody changes. It would be better to be, you know, 80% of the way there most of the time than a hundred percent perfect eh, every now and then. Yeah. Like when I
1: was looking into this and you just kind of like listening to like what you've said and, um, there's a book that I've read uh, for a lot of different things. Um, but it's a book by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect. And it's just about like small incremental changes. And he gives an example in the book about if you were, if the three of us were in a room and we said, okay, for one year, uh, I'm not going to make any changes. Uh, Kyle's going to eat 250 extra calories a day. And John's going to eat 200 less calories a day. The amount of change over one year in like our body composition, body type, like all these things would be huge. And it doesn't seem like that's one soda a day, but one soda over seven days or 365 days, you know, I mean, you could probably figure out how many calories and then how many pounds that would be. And if you were to do that over the next five years or whatever, it's all these little tiny changes that, you know, maybe it's diet soda maybe it's drinking water maybe it's it's whatever but it's just these little tiny changes and that crosses over to like all aspects of your life
3: you know yep i mean you're you're 100% right and i think i think too like sticking with this theme of perfection people are told by their doctors you know they need to lose 70 80 90 whatever pounds uh, most data most research when you see it says that a ten percent change in weight, right? So for nobody that's great at math, somebody that weighs three hundred pounds, thirty pounds, losing thirty pounds improves your health in such a dramatic way that a lot of times pe- what people are suffering with begins to get better, right? So again, it's not like you need to be at high school fighting weight, even. Me- and this is this is to you, to your point, to your credit. These small changes, if you can just be patient with them, it will take that weight off right and 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 what i've learned is like once you get going you pick up some steam and the compound effect kicks in where you're like maybe i'll go for a walk tonight maybe i'll go in wednesday too maybe i'll go for a run i've always thought about a 5k right it just is like you know i I, again referencing being in the mountains and, and bow hunting and stuff i didn't grow up doing anything and getting, as I started to lose weight, like that was, that was my story. I started swimming. I started hiking. I started backpacking. I started doing all of these things that I'd never been able to do before. And it's just this compounding effect of like, you know, one small change leads to another. And, and if you do it consistently over time, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's when, and it will, it will happen.
1: So shifting gears just a little bit, um, it, from a, 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 food standpoint for like the, so we've talked about like how it affects our body, how it affects our performance. And we think about that in terms of, like you said, like getting up and going after that, that elk or, you know, getting up on the last day where, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, you're not, you lack the motivation, uh, for whatever reason, um, it, are there foods or things, um, that you can, uh, a regimen or, or anything like that, that helps with the mental side or cognition. So like Dave Asprey, Bulletproof, you know, medium chain triglycerides, like all that sort of stuff. Is there science behind like things that you can give yourself a mental edge while in to help you overcome some of the things that you're going to deal with while you're doing these difficult stuff.
3: That's a good, that's a great question. So right now all the rage and there are some, there are some hunt centric brands that sell products geared towards this are things called nootropics, which are basically basically, you know, I'll call them herbs, substances, whatever, not illegal substances, but whatever you want to call them that improves mental clarity, improves focus, etc. That's that's what they suggest. And it's simple things you've probably heard of like, you know, ginkgo and some other things. And again, looping this back into of like when people ask me these questions, because I get asked all the time, I have to say two things. Number one, what does what the data show? Number two, Even if the data shows this, what's your personal experience? Because if your personal experience says, oh, you know, if the the data says, nope, nothing to it, and you've tried it, and you're like, dude, game changer. It's changed my whole life. Who cares what the data says? Go do what works for you. That's that's what you need to continue to do unless it's harming you or whatever. And when you look at the data, as a pharmacist, you'll appreciate this too. You, yes, you can cherry pick data, right? I could find data to meet anything I want it to meet. You have to, when you're in my position or you're in the position of a whatever, you have to look at the totality of everything. When we study big groups of people of different ages, of different you know studies that last over long periods of time... What does all of that say? I, I don't care about the four guys that were in Maryland that happened to do this and, you know, they felt like they did better because of it. What does the, the total data say? And the total data says none of that stuff works, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like when you look at it, and this is the thing that I love about nutrition. In, in researching it, everything seems to loop back to, no, just master the basics. Just become really good at the basics. Sleep the one thing that does show effect caffeine so drink yourself a cup of coffee or red bull or whatever your caffeine of choice is make sure that you're eating in a way that does not cause you any issue so if you're the guy who tolerates gas station stuff but too much fiber has you tearing up your buddy's tree stand don't eat that way right like do the things that that you know are going to Work the best for you, and like one of the one of the terms that gets thrown out a lot in the the hunting community in the West, and, and maybe even there, is confidence kills. Right, so the more confident you are in doing whatever your repertoire is, you should just keep doing it if it works for you. The thing that people will often email me about is like they they feel like they're missing this thing, right? Like there's some bit of information out there that I've not been given in terms of you know getting the edge and there's just not anything that says, hey, you know if you take these game changer. Now, like I said, could you go find some data somewhere that you know hypothetically improves a metric? I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could but the totality of the data when you when you put it all in a pot kind of says no it, it it doesn't
1: yeah so i've said the same thing so i've 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 tried the butter coffee and all of that stuff and where it's good and like yeah maybe you do feel more full do i notice anything maybe because i want to Maybe because I put in so much effort, like I got up Placebo, early and I did yeah. all of that stuff. And and that's what I tell people, like when they're asking like, hey, did you notice anything? And I'm like, well, I don't know because, you know, I've just been doing it. And so if I want to think that I did, then it doesn't really matter because it's working for me and it makes me, you know, maybe I give an extra 10% effort in my daily whatever because I did that and I feel like I'm doing something good just like. It's almost a placebo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I can't tell you that it's going to work for you, but it's the same yep. thing with, like, the scent lock stuff or, like, if you want to use sense, or you have your lucky hat that has their white acorn wafers <laughs> pinned to it, John. Um, you know, if that's what kills a deer for you, then that's, you know. But my yep. question was more based from, like, that... <laughs> 10th day or whatever that last day where you know you've got a buddy that's maybe maybe we are eating different or something and you know you just feel off like you're not right and one of the problems that we have as um, flatlanders or easterners or whatever is like we don't really get the opportunity like I can't in all the training that John and I did, and we tried all of these different foods, like I didn't just say, all right, well, I'm just going to eat this stuff out of my bag for seven days in the summer to prepare for September. Right. Like we can do all the training in the world, but like, we're not going to put ourselves through that amount of stress and that diet to be able to say, this works for me. I know. And this doesn't. And so is there anything that um like a class of food you know higher fat this that that actually that helps with like i say cognition outside of supplement or things like that
3: cognition no i mean no nothing's going to pr- improve you know not nothing nothing has been like uh do this and you know game changer for cognition now you know Yes, the gold standard would be trying anything that you're able to take, right? But if you if you don't if you don't have that ability, there are a couple of things that I think are important to remember. Anytime when, when you're when you're when you're planning something out, especially in the mountain, trying to keep things especially snacks during the day relatively low in fat, low in fiber, low in protein for a couple of reasons. Number one, it delays the emptying of the stomach, right? And so, what you end up getting is it, it just takes longer for the fuel delivery to get to you to your system. Second thing would be is that delay. Like when you're when you're hiking, the body's pulling blood from your leg, or I'm sorry, from your from everywhere, from your stomach, and giving it to the legs, right? There's, so there's less perfusion, there's less blood flow to the gut, which naturally causes more indigestion. The combination of those three things tend to make food harder to digest than if it weren't there or if it were there in lower amounts. So, when you're looking at stuff, and this is another thing, like when I'm looking over a guy's potential food list to take somewhere and it's chocked full of foods that are crazy high in fat, lots of bars with a bunch of fiber woven in there, tons of high-protein foods, you know, unless he tells me, look, this is what I've always done I've I'm at the advantage where I've done this before and this is what works for me. I'm typically saying I would cut back on this. I I was doing a a live Q and a with the group earlier and you know, I've had, I've had people tell me for years they suffer with indigestion on the mountain, right? Like they're just, their stomach is a complete wreck up there. And so when we start to go over what they're eating, they're eating all of these healthy foods, right? Foods that would fall under that classification of healthy, which is a lot of fiber. So when you get a lot of fiber in the gut, you get indigestion, that fiber ferments on the gut bacteria, which causes gas. It's no different than if you were brewing beer, or if you're baking bread, you mix or you introduce carbohydrates and sugars to an environment like that where it can feed, it produces gas. So what we did was we had them eat less of those quote unquote healthy foods and they dramatically improved their indigestion. So there is too much of a good thing that could potentially exist. So if you're not, if you don't have the luxury of trying things, you know, I'm a spreadsheet guy. So put it in a spreadsheet and evaluate what's the fat, what's the protein, what's the fiber. Now, I would imagine the next question would be like, is there a minimum or a maximum I should hit? No, there's not necessarily a minimum or a maximum, but if you're looking at stuff and you're thinking, this food, when I look at those nutrients, fats, fibers, proteins, and carbohydrates, when I look at this, it's looking pretty heavy on the fat or the protein or the fiber side, then I would scale it back. Now, you could either cut it out, you could scale back the portion, you could scale back the frequency, you could, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could approach it, but trying to limit how much of that stuff you come comes in would set up an environment to where you're, you know, probably going to tolerate it better.
2: That's funny. Cause like <clears throat> when we went to Idaho, I had, I made my handwritten spreadsheets basically with the same thing, like the fats, the carbs. And I was going for like a high protein, high fat diet. And then we talked to Mark from XO and he was like, no, I talked to a, Dietitian, which I'm not sure I can't remember who it was, Yeah. but
3: like he's a good he's a good friend of mine. So it
2: it was probably you.
3: <laughs> it was probably me. That's it, he's a I've got nothing but great things to say about those guys.
2: So he's like, yeah, you're gonna want to get some sugars, and that's when Adam had like the five pounds of gummy bears. I'm like, well, give me half of that. And I went up to the the grocery store or the gas station. I got Pop Tarts and I got some Oreo cookies, and we burned. I mean what do we do like in 8 days we we hiked like 106 miles or something and I would get back and eat eat my uh like two, mountain two house two things are ramen noodles mountain house and then two things of ramen noodles and <laughs>
3: And I want to, I want to like, so you're saying this and you know, a lot of people are probably cringing, but I think this loops. This is a good time to loop in, even like you, you had mentioned earlier in the episode, the thing about, you know, blood sugar spiking, et cetera. When you do the gummy bears, there's an interesting thing that happens when a guy is active, right? We tend to think that whatever happens to us when we're sitting in a chair, you know, 360, days a year we're not in the west putting out that much or we're not whatever right whether it's e- even in the eastern like i know a lot of guys do some hiking in 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 eastern hunting midwest hunting too when you look at a graph you see a dramatic blunt in the spike of blood sugar when you're eating a super high carb diet because those cells are more receptive to that glucose, it's powering the muscle. Carbs fire three times faster on carbohydrate, or I'm sorry, muscles fire three times quicker on carbohydrate than they do fats. Right. So when you look at when you literally look at graphs of studies done of a person that's active versus a person that's inactive, when you see, you know, 60, 90 grams of carbohydrate taken in in an instant for an inactive person, you do see a dramatic rise and then a dramatic fall over an hour when you get that person to be active in a, in any type of an environment and i think that this study was on 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 biking which tells me it would be even more prolific than <laughs> hiking in the mountains that 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 curve is blunted it's it's more of like a small slope as opposed to a giant slope that rises and falls like a bell curve right so it's it's you, we when you talk to people you have to get them to remember you may not see yourself this way, but you are an athlete when you are in the mountains. Your body perceives what you're doing, the equivalent of those guys that you do watch on TV, right? You may not identify with that, but at a physiological level, that's what's happening, right? And so that's why I, as a dietitian, can confidently say, yeah, take the gummy bears. Like that's it's a different deal when you're out there. It's not like right now I'm sitting in my office. I don't have a five pound bag of gummy bears next to me, just you know, dipping my hands to them as you as I talk I don't need them. That's irrational, that's a logic. I do need my license revoked if I talk like that. <laughs> it's a different deal though, when you are that active. It's like you're throwing newspaper into a burning fire. I mean, it is it is literally processing it just about as quick as you can throw it in, which is why you'll find stuff like that woven into meal plans or woven into plans that I've given to guys. It's because you need it.
2: Yeah, we we're. I mean, we we're wearing our like trackers and stuff, and I think the one day it was like seventy five hundred calories or something. I mean, and yeah, you couldn't.
1: 36,000 steps and flights of here and all that 13 miles. But, um, so when you were talking about, you know, protein, uh, being like recovery type, right. So in a situation like that, and even if it were to be, um, you know, you put forth your effort, whether it's, you know in the whitetail woods and you did a couple miles through the swamps or you're out West or, or whatever. And you're, you know, we've established that you can use these carbohydrates and these things at different times for different reasons. Would it be more beneficial for then you to like load protein at the end of the day, like prior to sleep so that you're getting that recovery?
3: 100%. Yep. Bingo hit the nail on the head. Yep. So, you know, like, number one, logistically speaking, it's hard to get many sources of protein in the backcountry because most all of it requires refrigeration. So if you're doing any type of backpacking and you're not, you know, leaving each day from a truck, there's not a lot that's going to last very long. But yes, because it's recovery, what I tend to focus on is planning stuff out, having, having a decent source of breakfast, So it sits with you, right? The the last thing you want to do is eat breakfast. And then, you know, an hour later, you're into a bowl and you're starving because it's just gone. Dose some at breakfast, dose some at lunch because most people rest a little longer at lunch, dose some at dinner. Now, there's still a sum like woven in there throughout the course of the day, but it certainly isn't the focus. And Ryan Lampers and I had an interesting conversation about this on his podcast. And then I did a like kind of a follow up on it uh, on the why I'd made the comment that I did on his podcast, which was, you know, very rarely he and I were going back and forth about how much, what what we take when we go. Very rarely are either of us taking much because it's not an energy source. It's just weight that I don't want to carry, right? And so, you know, you get most guys like, it seems like the sort of the the overhanging mandate that is in um, I don't want to say culture, the overhanging mandate, the thing that most guys hear is you should eat one gram for every pound you weigh, right? Like that's, that just seems to be the one number that most people are familiar with. So they think, boy, I'm definitely going to need that whenever I'm doing a lot. Now the rationale makes sense to me. I can see where, you know, guys would think, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of physical activity. I need a lot of protein to recover. It's, it's not true. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's different. And you Definitely don't need one gram per pound. You know, you take a 220 pound guy, how are you going to get 220 grams of protein in eight days in a row back there? You know, logistically, it's hard. And then more importantly than that, you don't you don't need it, right? It's just an energy source. An interesting fact, like, so what a lot of guys will do is is kind of like you had said, they'll eat a lot of fat, they'll eat a lot of protein, they'll eat very little carbs. And again, we're the body's smarter than us, it's dynamic. It can take those carbs in the deprivation like that, create energy in the form of glucose in the liver whenever it's deprived. Right. So it's just a, again, take that instance of us sitting in Seattle and either going east to New York or flying around the globe and going to New York. If you're not supplying what it needs, it's going to figure out a way to make it. It's just going to have to work harder to do it. So in my mind, I'm a pretty logical guy. I'm like, why not just provide what it needs from the get-go, right? And so, that's where you start to plan. You're like, whoa, cut the protein down, bring the carbs up, fill in the gaps with fat-based foods, you know, usually things like nut butters and nuts and trail mix and things like that.
1: whole sandwiches. <laughs> so, so, in what you had just said with your body-making glucose and a... <laughs> intimately familiar with that, having to learn about it forever. Um, How how does that affect your overall performance by not giving the body what it needs to begin with? Because it seemed, like you said, like the opposite way around the world, being a much more inefficient process. But realistically, how taxing is it on you your internals physically rather than just eating, you know, I mean by putting yourself in that deficit and forcing your body to make the fuel that you need, is that draining you from being able to operate? I think it's kind of what you're
2: saying about like at day five, you're going to be like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay in camp. But
3: it's, I mean, I think that that's a good, that's a good reference, right? It's not, it's not, taxing the same way of like a wheel bearing being taxing on an old pickup you know compared to a new pickup right it's not like oh it's having to go through this process and that's just really wearing down the years it's not necessarily like that I mean it's like we're designed to do this right like we're (laughs) we just can't fail it's almost like you know whatever you believe in I'm faith based guy so like for me God knew we'd be somehow messing stuff up so you know he gave us a way to, to go around it you, but you hit the nail on the head, right? It's it's not that you're gonna die or not survive or anything like that. You're just not going to be. Let's say you got you got another guy with you who is fueling right, right? Like this dude's gonna be saying, "Hey, you ready? You ready? Let's go." Man, yeah. I mean, I'll go, but I'm really starting to feel it. You're like feel it. Stay five of twenty one. You can't be feeling it yet, right? So I think that it's just a it, one thing that I always I say a lot is like the whole goal. Man, I just can't think of anything I love more than being in the mountains. And the first backpacking trip I'd ever done, stupid of me, I didn't plan it well. And boy, I I mean, I hit a wall really hard at a high peak here in Idaho. And it was... The most miserable experience i would ever had and i thought man there's got to be just be something wrong with what i was doing so thankfully i kept going and ended up loving it to me the whole purpose of being there is not to like do something hard and make it through and tell a story about it like it's to enjoy it right it's to like dude i can't wait for tomorrow and i can't wait for next year not suffer through it type two fun look back at it and feel like oh man that sucked didn't it yeah let's do it again next year it's like right and to me that's the difference the difference is, oh dude, it's awesome. Like, I'd go back next week if I could. Whereas another guy might be like, "Yeah, it was cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved hearing the bulls and loved the mountains, loved this and that." But like, I'm pretty beat. I'm gonna need a while to recover from this. That's the difference to me, right? Versus just just giving the body provision for what it needs, being able to endure, enjoy it, and enjoy it. Versus, yes, you'll make it. You you'll survive. It's not you're gonna be wind up on the side of a river and have to be helicoptered out of there. But you know, the enthusiasm with which you do it and how much you enjoy it, I think will make a difference.
1: And so then another question um, that I think arises as we're talking of like this overall nutrition, like body efficiency and understanding, you know, that, you know, everything within a a certain level of moderation, right. Is okay. Um, and when we're talking, you know, with you as a dietitian and like peak performance, and this is more of like a whitetail thing, I think, but John's got a, a hunting buddy that is definitely, uh, on this wavelength when he's in the, uh, the elk woods as well is like, how does alcohol affect your ability to, you know, your nutrient uh, uptake and, and and
3: all of that.
2: It's carbs, right?
3: <laughs> in a big in a big way, right? So, in a couple of different ways. One, so when when you talk about muscle building, one thing or the ability for a muscle to recover, like we we for some reason feel the need to attach fancy words to things, but we call that muscle protein synthesis. We know that that is significantly blunted with the intake of alcohol. We know recovery is poor, right? So you go back to that same, that same scenario that we're talking about. Day five, right? The guy who doesn't drink or who waits to drink after the bull is down or whatever, he's recovering better than the guy who decides to come back to camp each night and have a six-pack or what, whatever that might look like, right? Alcohol is dehydrating. So there's a number of alcohol shunts this like the system that we talked about earlier with food being converted from food into usable energy alcohol blunts that system right so there's different systems that are involved in in better outcomes that if you choose to have that and you 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 do it enough and you do it in enough consecutive days it will for sure mean the difference again between decent recovery and not and if you like what's that look like in real life Decent recovery is again feeling strong on day seven, feeling strong on day ten. Everybody's going to feel great on day two, day three. But when you're on a seven, ten plus day hunt, like I did a, a couple of years ago, I worked with a couple of guys who went to um, a range in Alaska to hunt sheep for fourteen days. I mean, that's that's not easy hiking. And day thirteen, day twelve, like that's whenever this stuff really starts to matter. You know, and if you're not replacing what you've used, you're not making good decisions each day in terms of, and good, it's not like like that's a bad decision, but you could suffer ramifications from it for sure.
1: Well, I just think about, and, you know, our listeners have heard it a bunch of times, but like, so the first year, second year, like when we went to Ohio and we hunted and it was, you know, for us, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and way different than what we're normally hunting here. So we were getting up at three in the morning, driving an hour, you know, hunting all day, you know, just eating, you know, peanut butter and jelly or whatever we had. We'd leave. It would be dark. You know, we'd sit until dark. We'd go stop at the gas station, get a six pack of beer, get back, eat dinner, drink a six pack and and go to sleep and then have to wake up and, Four hours or five hours or whatever, and I just think about that. Like in, like I said, I, I think it's more of like a whitetail thing where everybody wants to get back and drink. And,
2: well, not to mention we were riding bikes back in
1: five <laughs> miles, and like I think it was uphill both ways. I mean, yeah, and, and and so it's like I think about that, and then coupled with like my father-in-law, who you know was probably sixty at the time. I so. As you age, you know, I mean, I would even say, like, for for podcasting, for hunting, for, like, what we're doing, like, John and I are old in this space, right? Like, we run into people all the time, and they're like, that's how old you are? Like, as you age, how does that change as well? Change what part? So, uh, like, your, I guess your, like, baseline ability to recover, and then add alcohol to the mix. <laughs> right. So we already established that it's bad, but where are we <laughs> at at 40, 45?
3: So we're not 20 anymore. <laughs> I mean, you guys are, you guys got the deck stacked against you. <laughs> 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 right. I mean, it's the same. I mean, it's, it's the same with age added. Right. I mean, I think like, you know, so I'm, I'm 30. Oh boy, hell old am I? 35, I think. I can tell a difference a little bit, right? I mean, it's not anything that's prevention or anything that prevents me from doing things. But yeah, I can can for sure tell a little bit whenever I've been doing something really, really challenging, really, really hard or whatever. Um, If you can add additional age to that, then it would do exactly what you would anticipate it would do. I mean, it would just be... Another, I joked about you having the deck stacked against you, but yeah, it would be it'd be it'd be another feather in the cap of like not in your favor. Our, our wheel bearings are wearing out, John. Oh, well, yeah,
1: mine for sure. <laughs> I got a couple bad ones. I'm 47, so so it, like I say, like all of this conversation has been great because it isn't like okay, well, these are the numbers that you need to hit. This is it, it's it's more. <laughs> I don't want to say like holistic, but it's like more of like a 30,000 foot view approach. It's just saying like, look, here is what's happening. And these are the things that will help you to kind of like navigate it like this in different circumstances. Some of this stuff may be worse than others. Like if I'm like, well, these beers have a hundred calories each. <laughs> And I need – these are where I'm getting my calories. I'm going to drink uh, 12. <laughs> it's probably bad. You know, that would be bad food um, as far as backcountry nutrition. I wouldn't call that food as bad calories. <laughs> well, it, it, at the end of the day, it's all just calories, right. John. Weren't you listening? That's what I'm saying, bad calories.
3: <laughs> but even even that, I think, is a good – like a good example. I've, I've had guys – there's a guy right now in the program, really, really great guy – he, he had been successfully losing weight he had been successful doing all of these things and again you talk about compounding interest he he would drink at night not like a lot but he would he would drink to relax and so he just sort of thought he's like well man what if i just quit it's not like i need it i don't drink it that much It is just kind of mindless drinking at night and he did and you know his sleep got better his all of these things started improving it didn't speed up his weight loss it didn't you know do all of these other things but you know small decisions like that compound with interest right and for him just getting rid of that gaining the ability to be able to sleep more have better clarity during the day etc provided him an outlet that made it worth it for him just to say like I'd rather have all those than anything at night and so yes i mean can everything fit it can but is there value in making sure that there is a you know a good amount? Like the rule that I love and, and often talk about is like an 20 twenty. Eighty percent of the time, yeah, focus on those nutrient dense, good, you know, full of vitamins, minerals, you're cooking most of it, whole type, decent foods, whatever. But twenty percent of the time, if you want the Pizza, if you want the whatever, then you can have it. And you got to think like, if a guy, if a guy is eating two thousand calories a day, twenty percent of those is four hundred. That's a that's a fair amount to, you know, choose whatever you want. If you want that to be something else, like something quote unquote bad, which again, there really are no good and bad foods. But if you want that to be something that seems less healthy, you can, right? So it gives you this allowance that most quote-unquote fat diets don't do. Now, I've got guys who are 80-20 the other way, right? Like 80% 80 stopping at fast food, 20% maybe taking an apple. They're losing weight too. So, yes, yes, it does matter at the end of the day that they are, for the most part, calories. But there is value in giving a dose of those over to some of that more nutrient-dense, high-quality stuff, quote-unquote high-quality stuff.
2: So, like, when you are... When someone comes to you and they want to figure everything out, like, do you go, like, by, like, BMI and stuff? I mean, how do you, I mean, because no. I look at the BMI and, like, it says I'm obese. It's like, I'm 6'3", no, I, 235 pounds. I
3: mean. I hate the BMI chart. <laughs> I, so, you know, what guys will, a question that does come up a lot is, what should I weigh? You know, what, what do you feel like would be a good weight for me? Should I weigh what the BMI chart says? I'll say no. I think there's two things that we should evaluate where a good weight for you is. It should be a weight that doesn't perpetuate any chronic disease. And it should be a weight that allows you to do what you love doing at the speed and the frequency that you like doing it at. So, for example... If you could hike as often as you wanted to with any, with the pace that you wanted to hike in, but you're an uncontrolled diabetic, that's a problem. We need to fix that, right? So, on that scenario, it perpetuates a chronic disease even though you can physically do what you like. Flip side of that would be, oh, you've got no chronic health problems. Most of your labs are in check, but you can't hike with your buddies even though you want to, right? So, your weight's a problem, Where we find that mix, right? Maybe that's thirty pounds above what the BMI chart says you could do. Studies also show like there's no real advantage once you hit that threshold. There's no real advantage to going lower, right? And like so, my own story: when I lost weight, lost one hundred and forty pounds, got down to one hundred and thirty, and I was miserable. I mean, I was like, I I was running a lot, and I was, you know, just. I didn't know a lot about nutrition at the time. I'd come home at the end of the day, like, and I'd be so exhausted that I couldn't manage to walk to 50 feet to my door. I'd lay my car seat back and I'd sleep and, in my car because I just had no energy. There's this idea that being this weight is great. And I think that a lot of social media per- perpetuates this idea of, you know, having your abs poke out and having this, that, and the other pokes out. What most people don't realize is that when those guys, Pay a dietitian, pay a physical trainer to get them in that condition. They take those photos and they're done immediately. They start eating again, they start getting you know, drinking and hydrating again. Most of those guys are not following what got them there year-round. We don't know that. Right? We see that and we think these dudes live like this. I want to be like that. And it's it's a myth. Like that doesn't exist. Now there is something also very powerful about the ability to say yes right? So if if right now, one thing that a lot of guys struggle with that I've met is the there's no motivation, right? There's nothing coming up that makes them need to go get in shape. But there's something powerful about being able to say yes. And what I mean by that is if you get the invitation, it's not a question of, do you need to spend a year getting in shape to go elk hunting in Montana? You're already there. Right, the power of being able to say, "Yeah, I'm in. I'll figure out how to get off work," as as opposed to, "Man, I don't know. Maybe I should. You know, this year, maybe maybe this year I'll try to get in shape, and you can ask me next year." Well, the holidays come, you know, all all the different events come, and we forget about that anticipation. But the the, you know the the ability to be able to get that phone call of, "Hey, I'm getting," so I'm getting ready to go do a, a hike in June that's far outside of my comfort zone. But, and I've been like reflecting about this in my own life 13 years ago, there's z- absolutely zero way I would have been able to do that. The ability when I got that email and the invitation to just be like, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to have to do some specific training. I'm going to have to really like, prepare for it. But that's a 12 week process. That's not a 12 month, 18 month ordeal. And then, you know, are you guys going to do it next year? I don't know, man. This might only happen once. Like you're, you could go. The ability to just be able to say yes can be very motivating for people alone if they don't have something already on the calendar.
1: There you go, John.
2: Yeah. So, so once you get, you know, that kind of established, then you, you build a, I mean, nutrition plan but then do you like what do you recommend for like say a workout regimen or you know
3: with that yeah that's a good question too so you know there's online calculators and you can use those but they're pretty terrible (laughs) and here's why right they're they're basically using an algorithm of a person's height of a person's weight of a person's age of a person's gender And they're giving you a number and they're telling you that you should go eat this. But the problem with that is we all have variables that don't give us that number. You're a human, right? So everything should be tailored to you. So when a person reaches out and says, Hey, I'm really interested in doing this, you know, can, can, what, what's the next step? We look at all of that, right? So we do an audit of their nutrition. We do an audit of their activity and we give them kind of a, a tailored nutrition plan that we will follow with them, right? And so we give them the recommendation, then we evaluate and we wait, then we reevaluate and we make changes based on real-time data, not hypothetical algorithms, right? And that that is, that is truly the difference is it's not me guessing, it's strictly data. So if you follow this thing, you've been following it 10 days and you're like, well, nothing's happening. What's going on? I'm able to tell you exactly what's going on and 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 what you need to do. Now, I'm not as well versed in the activity piece as I am nutrition. Nutrition's definitely my niche and 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 the the part that I love the most and the part that I know the most. I know just enough to help with activity, right? Like so, setting goals, setting targets. If you're stuck somewhere, how do you progressively get better with that? And I think one of one of The coolest things about this whole journey to starting Valley to Peak, um, working at the hospital, then stopping the hospital, and this being my full-time job is how many incredible people I've been able to meet. You know, like we referenced Mark from Exo Mountain Gear earlier, him being one of them. But in the context of what we're talking about now, I've met a lot of guys who do dabble in the workout piece and maybe not the nutrition. Like The guys that come to mind right now are the guys down in Texas at Atomic Athlete um, who have a lot of workout regimens geared towards stuff that we're talking about with backcountry hunting and you know, have a relationship with them. And we can figure out some sort of a program that maybe they've got that would work well with what you're doing with nutrition. So just that that collaboration to really be able to create an overall plan that centers on what your goals are um, is what we try to do. And again, I said this earlier, the less someone feels like we're changing everything, the more we're on the right track.
1: I mean, I'm looking at my, my list here. I think we've kind of went through everything that I like to cover or that I want to get out of this. Um, I guess for you, like one thing, like if you were going to talk to our listeners and say, like, for yourself, your situation, what you're doing, because we've already established everybody's going to be different, like whatever. So your favorite backcountry snack or tree sand snack that you feel like that's what really does it for me, whether it's the five pounds of gummy bears or you, it's, you know whatever it is
3: man that's a really hard one i mean i should just i should just go with the very first thing that came to mind pb and j a solid pb and j is my favorite you know like the hard part like is if we do you know we we tend to do a lot of like backpack hunting so it's hard to take those you know like you can't just make 6 PB&Js and still have them be decent at day 6.
1: <laughs> so from from my experience in uh the Marines and like bringing food out and like one of my friends was the fat kid and so this is like I and we'll always say that to him cuz that's what he says he's like you this is a fat kid trick, right? Peanut butter and jelly. Like you know you're going to have to get some sort of stout bread, but if you put peanut butter on both sides of the bread, it doesn't bleed through the one side. So you get an extra day or two days out of that. So
3: The the problem I've always had is like the peanut butter melds into the bread. So there's no creaminess. It's almost Mm -hmm. like eating just like a crusty peanut butter flavored toast at, (laughs) you know, several days in which I'm, you know, so like if we're going to go, if we're going to hunt, there's a unit that we hunt mule deer out of. that's not too far from home. And if we're going to go out for like a day, I'm always taking a PB and J, like that's a no-brainer. Other stuff in there may vary, uh, you know. So as you asked me that, and I was like sitting here trying to rack my brain of like the most exciting stuff I've ever thrown in a pack. That was the first thing that came to mind. Is it's like if I've got the opportunity to take one thing, it's I'm always going to default to being sure there's a PB and J in there, which is that's-
1: the last thing that you would expect from like a dietitian or like a nutrition guy. Like mines peanut- oh, man, peanut butter and honey.
2: I mean, but that's like. I eat that every morning for breakfast. I mean, I go through a jar of jiff
3: a week. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like if you, if, if we did like a bag dump, (laughs) Oh man. And you saw what was in there and you know, I said, pick which one of these is the dietitian. You would not pick mine. (laughs) You know, I, it's during hunting. Like it's, it's, I might follow that PB and J up with some pop tarts and there's gummy bears in there. And, there's just a, a bunch of a bunch of different stuff, and so like for context, you know, on a day to day basis, I might eat somewhere you know around two thousand some odd calories. I'm five foot six hundred and fifty pounds. On hunts, I'm I tend to hover around forty five hundred give or take, right? So the 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 exponential demand, you know, like that. If I were to say, you know, if you were to say, well, what's what's the one common mistake that you see a lot of guys make? For hunting, especially like out here, because it's you know a lot of who I see, um, they do not take enough. Right, like a lot of guys hover at 3,000, three thousand, thirty five hundred, and the needs way higher than that usually.
2: Well, one thing, I mean, do you ever like a lot of people have the eye watch and stuff? I have one, and I've you know I wear it ninety percent of the time. I don't have it on right now, but. How accurate is like the calorie tracker on that? I mean, like it, you know, you can count your steps, you know, track your heart rate and stuff, but like, would that be a decent, like, so I wear it around all day working and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I burn 1800 calories today. Would that be something? How accurate?
3: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, another I mean, algorithm. It, it, well, it, that's partially, and, and that's not just me, f- you know, sort of flippantly saying that they've studied it, right? So they've studied watches. They've suffered. I mean, they've gotten so detailed as to, to even publish the different models of watches. Um, and then they've studied workout machines, right? Like, so you get on the elliptical and the elliptical tells you, Oh, you know, congratulations. You burned 420 calories in the last six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've, when we've studied that, we've found that the, you know, so what they'll do is they'll evaluate what the watch says, and then they'll hook them up to an actual machine that measures what the what the output was and they compare the two you know between the study groups there's a giant variance between actual and 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 what the watch says and so like a, a huge misconception that i see is people tend to read that and then eat it back when in reality you know your watch tells you 400 Maybe maybe burn two hundred and fifty, so now you're really at a two hundred some odd calorie surplus going off of the data from that watch, and even whenever we evaluate people estimating their intake, like we talked about, oh we're tracking calories or whatever, we find, and this is again published data, we they've seen that people will estimate. Fourteen hundred calories fewer than what was actually taken in, right? So they'll estimate. Oh yeah, I think I had fourteen hundred or so, and then they'll have. You know, this will be in a controlled setting. They'll have someone there from, you know, a dietitian or whatever, do an analysis on it, and it's more like twenty eight. So it's not that people are unwilling to do the work necessarily. Like they're willing to measure stuff and to try to eat within parameters. It's that. What they're trying to use isn't necessarily the entire story, right? And again, it just goes back to that that question or that comment that people say when they reach out. It's like, man, I'm just so confused <laughs> about what to do.
1: But realistically, John, and I'll, I'll say this, and this is my take on it, just coming from like my background, is, so the same thing happens with people with their at-home blood sugar machines, right? And they're checking and they're checking and then they go to the doctor and then the doctor says well it's 20 points higher or 20 points lower or whatever and you know there is a a, a test a 1c that shows you know basically your batting average over the last 3 months or whatever but for your watch if we understand that it isn't gospel but if you get more steps. If you. it says that you did more today than you did yesterday and you're, you're looking at that and you're not using it as validation to eat more. Right. I mean, you can use it as a tool because that's all they're doing with the blood sugar is just to say, like, where is your baseline so that you can see any deviation from that higher or
3: lower. Yeah, trend, I, I think that they can be helpful for trends, right? Mm-hmm. The same with like people will say, Oh, my you know, my bathroom scale measures um, body fat percentage. How accurate is that? Well the 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 precision of it is probably way inaccurate, but if it's showing a trend down, we can assume that you're probably losing some body fat, right? So it's not so much about the specificity of it being incorrect or correct. If you want to use it to, to track trends, for example, like what you had said, I normally walk 3,400 steps in a day, but I've been trying to get it up to 6,400. Whether or not that's right, who cares? You're walking more, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? right? And, 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 and so using it to track trends. I think is incredibly valuable. I mean, I, I have, I don't have it on, but I have a smartish watch or whatever that I use the same thing for, right? Like if I'm in my office most of the day and I look at my watch and it's like 1200 steps, I don't know if it's really been 1200, but I know I need to go move something, right? Because I can just feel that I've been sitting here all day. So there is some, definitely some value in using those things for, uh, to track trends.
2: Well, that's, I mean, to help answer some of my questions. (laughs) You know, like, oh, I'm going to base my calories on this watch. Oh, I got this app. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, John, I'm trying to to cue John up here. Oh, I know. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking about, I was trying to think if there's anything else, you know. I don't want to end it. But, so, the one question I always ask our guests is, uh, what's your bow setup? What are you shooting? Arrows, sight, bow?
3: Yeah. So, I have a... Boy, I have a, so I have a Hoyt, um, well, darn it. Of course it would escape me now that you asked me. I'll come back to what the model is. I can't remember what it is. I think it's set at like, I think it's set at 65 pounds. Uh, my arrows are Easton carbon injections, Kudu broadheads site is a black gold site that, um, that I got here locally tight spot quiver what else you want to know
2: uh what release shoot
3: oh a very fancy walmart release that i got from my first year i bow hunted right and so i've like i've gone through and looked at carters i've gone through and looked at hinges i've gone through and looked at the stuff from knock-on and like this goes back to that whole confidence kills thing, right? Like what you get in your head. I'm like, I know exactly when that little cheap Walmart Velcro releases in my hand. Like I know where it falls on my finger. I know where it sits on my wrist. I know like the if it feels off, I know it's off. So for me, I'm like, I'm not changing until that thing just breaks. Yeah, don't mess with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which, you know, being from Walmart could be anytime, but it's lasted me. I mean. Longer than I expected.
2: So, how old is your bow? A
3: couple of years. Well, so my bow, I got it. So, I got it used off of maybe rock slide from a guy in Pennsylvania who owned a bow shop and had it sitting in his inventory for a couple of years. So, my draw length's short. I think it's 17 and a half inches. And he had this Hoyt. Oh, darn it. I wish I could remember what it's called. So we had this sitting back there and it was a couple of years older, right? So I so you know, I I started rifle hunting, eventually got into bow hunting to just be able to get out more in, in in Idaho you can hunt early, you can hunt after the rifle season, so I just wanted to hunt more. So I got a bow uh and I borrowed a friend's bow for a while. Just fell in love with it, fell in love with the whole process of it and ended up, you know, I was wanting to get a bow, but I didn't want to expend, uh, spend a ton of money. So, this guy was selling this bow. So, I bought it as a just a bare bow, nothing on it. It was brand new. Um, and I got it probably f- four years ago. And I think it was a couple years older than that. He just had it back there. Hmm. I'm trying to think of... I like to think of it as like a Power Max or like Jason's Carbon Spider or like... Um no it was I mean it was definitely it was definitely entry level um an entry level bow oh, darn it charger that's what it is charger charger okay yeah that's charger. one Yeah and just
1: because we're going to get uh messages about the your draw length has to be like 27, 27 and a half cuz 17 would be like your arrows would be like a crossbow bolt it's probably 27 and a half <laughs>
3: What did I say it was? 17. No, no, 20 you're, it is. It's <laughs> yeah. 27 and a half. Yeah. yeah. Cuz I mean it our listeners will be like 17 inches. This guy he doesn't know anything.
1: <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> no, it <laughs> is.
3: It's it's 27 and a half because I've got it written on a I've got it written from when I first measured it. I still have it posted up on my uh on my bulletin board.
1: <laughs> yeah. So for you Kyle, I really do appreciate this like for guys that are interested in like you know taking this journey like who are the guys that you uh, you see the most success with or that you like you are the guys that you really enjoy helping like who is it that you um are serving and then how would they get a hold of you and what's the process
3: yeah I, honestly i mean this is going to sound just so diplomatic <laughs> anyone I, I will say this though I th- the the people who it's the people who have the the, the will and the desire to want to change but they just don't know how right like so i meet so many people all of them great but there's just something about the guys that say like dude i'm willing to do the work I just don't know what to do because I'm so confused. Like, I need, and that's what I do. I I create, like, if, if someone were to meet me on an elevator and said, Quick, I'm getting off, what do you do? I create roadmaps for guys to help them reach their goals with nutrition. All right. Very, very plainly. I mean, it's that, that is what it is. So there's just something about those guys that they do. They have the work ethic. And once you give them the, once you give them the roadmap to, to put that work ethic to the test, they do it. They just, I mean, it's pretty awesome to watch, and I've just been humbled to be a part of so many of those. And again, like I give the advice, but the I mean, they're doing the heavy lifting for sure. They are anyone who's been a part of this and been successful on it definitely deserves all the accolades. I've got the easy part. Um, if, if people are interested, there's several different social media channels. There's a podcast, all of them sort of labeled under Valley to Peak Nutrition. Um, the social media channels and the website are V with the number 2, P com. So it's V2PNutrition.com. P uh, And if anyone's interested or they've got questions or whatever, uh, you can email me, info at v 2 P com. There's a free newsletter you can be involved in. There are a... I mean, there are a... I have worked... I've tried to work very hard on providing as many free resources as possible. And so all of those are linked under the website. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to help if anyone's interested.
1: Awesome. Well, really, really appreciate your time. I think that's kind of all we got for the podcast tonight. So,
3: I appreciate it, guys.
2: Search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for
0: Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss
2: Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.